Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm so thankful for our partnership with the Spot Athletics in Columbus, Ohio. Our offices and our studios are here. And because of our partnership, I get to offer you 10% off of any of their sport and life programs. That goes for athletes, that goes for adults, 10%. All you have to do is go to the spotathletics.com backslash get started and enter code unscripted10 in the comments. That's all you got to do. The spotathletics.com backslash get started, enter unscripted10 in the comments, and they'll get you started today. Now, here's JL with a little bit of his story. I wasn't a great athlete growing up. There was a lot of kids with more natural talent than I had. After my freshman year of football, when uh, I wasn't quite the star I always wanted to be, uh, that's when I decided to start lifting weights. Joined the local gym, and uh, you know, I, I honestly had no clue what I was doing. Just kind of did what I saw in the magazines. You know, I, I worked real hard, but uh, after a few months of really not getting any stronger, uh, I, I was really lucky because the gym manager, he uh, took me under his wing and he showed me how to really train. After a few weeks, kind of noticed I started getting a lot stronger. After a few years, I was playing college football, and now many years later, I'm a world champion in powerlifting. Honestly, I owe everything I've done athletically to that gym manager. And I started the Spot Athletics because I wanted to make that kind of impact on people's lives. Hi, I'm J.L. Holdsworth, founder and head strength coach at the Spot Athletics. When I think about you Unscripted Podcast. We're Tori and Shana, and you're listening to our song called When I Think About You. Available on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you enjoy your favorite songs. But for now, let's listen in to your host and our friend, Aaron Conrad. Conrad. All right, everybody, welcome back to Unscripted from my studios at the Spot Athletics in Columbus, Ohio. I'm really excited. This has been on my calendar for months, and I'm so excited to talk to you and really unpack a lot of different things. But would you introduce yourself and we will go from there? Absolutely. My name is Dr. Ella F. Washington. I'm an organizational psychologist whose career has focused on making workplaces better for every single person. Um, specifically, my work focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I have the pleasure of being a consultant, working with hundreds of multinational organizations on their DEI strategy, as well as being a professor of practice at Georgetown's McDonough School of Business. Thanks for having me. Let's start with your story. Tell me your story. Uh, what uh, led to you getting the education you've received and, and, and worked very hard for? And then we'll get to the book in a minute, because let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about you. Absolutely. So I'm originally from Durham, North Carolina. Um, Durham is a wonderful city uh, in the South. And 
you know, it had the, the joys and challenges of being a Southern city. Uh, right. So right. there's the wonderful Southern hospitality culture, but there's also very real issues around race and identity and inclusion. And so um, I kind of always had these topics, at least surrounding me as a Black woman, for example, often I was the only Black person in my high school classes. Wow. Um, of that nature. And then from there, I went to what most consider a very homogeneous space comparatively as I attended Feldman College, which is the historically Black uh, all-women's college. And so what that means is you're at a space where you look around and you're not othered for the first time. You're not the only one. And what was so fascinating about that time, and I think what really led me to want to study and work in this space, is the understanding that even though we could look homogeneous on the outside, the, the value and the beauty of our diversity was so apparent once we didn't just focus on those outward characteristics, right? And so right. that for me was a lesson learned about just humanity in general. If we look past what is just visibly on the outside and start to appreciate our similarities and differences, at a, a deeper level, that's where the beauty is, right? Um, and that kind of curiosity about those human elements, what makes people, you know, have in-groups and out-groups? What makes people uh, want to be around people that are like them or not want to be around people that are like them, right? Um, all of those facets led me to get a PhD in organizational behavior from Northwestern University. Um, and, you know, I think my core mission of the work that I do to help everyone be in workplaces where they can thrive. And it sounds simple, but we spend more than one third of our entire lives either at work or working in some capacity. And I often say, if you know, Western population um, like ours, we probably spend more than that because we're always connected, right? So our, our work is in our hands. Our work is on vacation with us. Our work is in the car when we're going somewhere, right? And so um, there's, it's so much of our lives. And so Shouldn't we spend a third of our lives in enjoyment? Shouldn't we be in spaces that we also welcome, that we have the opportunity to be our best selves? And so for me, that is at the core of the work that I do. Are you a North Carolina or Duke fan? So there's no choice there. I'm 100% a Duke fan. <laughs> mm. Mm. All right. I, I'm sorry. We're having a bad connection. I'm going to have to right. disconnect right now. Oh, right, right, right. It went, it went left quickly. <laughs> I'm a Tar Heel fan. Okay. Has nothing to do with our interview. I just was it curious. Doesn't. As soon it as you doesn't. said Durham, it, does, it doesn't. Very important. Very important. It's okay. It's okay. It's all love. It is all love, but I'm a North Carolina fan. Anyway, <laughs> so, but that, I do love that part of the country and I love being down there and uh, I, I respect it. Okay. Um, that, so you left Durham. Why did you not go to Duke? You went to Northwestern, which is very similar to Duke. It's just up in Chicago, right? I mean, aren't they very similar? And what what led you to go to Northwestern? You know, quite frankly, and even in talking about UNC, Duke is an amazing school. And, mm -hmm. and UNC at the time was, you know, one of the public universities in the country. So I, I'm sure that it's still it. But they were both 10 minutes from my house in either direction. Yeah, <laughs> so right, right. Um, I valued the opportunity. And, and quite frankly, my parents wanted me to explore life a little bit. You know, I don't know that I would have gotten the same experiences and exposure just to life outside of my little radius of North yeah. Carolina. Um, so both fantastic schools and would have gotten a great education. But what Spellman did for me and, and when I visited, I remember they said something that stuck with me to this day. 
They said, you know, you can get a great education from many places. Right. But here we are trying to educate the whole person. And, you know, I felt that. I felt that in the way they pushed us to be women who change the world and think about our communities. I felt that in the sisterhood and community bonds we, we formed internally within the school. Um, I felt that in every aspect. And so for me, it was the best place because I wanted somewhere that I could grow as a full person, as a full being, as a full woman. Um, and as a psychology undergrad major, I knew that grad school was probably in my future. So, you know, I, and as I did, I had the opportunity to go to um, a larger university at Northwestern, or I could have went to, you know, other universities at that. My son, who's our oldest, went an hour away. My second child went three hours away. And my third child's going eight hours away. So wow. I, I don't know if it's something as a parent that we're pushing them further away as they, I don't know. Well, I just remember, you know, my freshman year, for example, I met a lot of people because I had to find somewhere to do my laundry. Mm -hmm. um, I had to do it off campus. Like, I mean, we have laundry facilities, but, you know, they're never great in the dorms, right? And so yeah. I remember being able to connect with upper class women. Um, and like they said, oh, you can come over to your laundry and just, you know, getting, making those connections. And I always thought, like, if I was back at home, I would have just got home to do my laundry because it was 10 minutes down the road. Like, right. even if I didn't have a car, my mom would have picked me up. So right. Um, right. I think, you know, kind of spreading your wings, depending on your needs as, as a child. Is we got on today to talk about your book and and, and the workplace in general. And, and I think uh, you and I had like two seconds before we started recording. Um, I left the workplace uh, to start my own business. And so I'm very fascinated because I've been in a lot of cultures. Uh, I spent 15 years in a, a Fortune 500 company. I've had various jobs in my life. Uh, I've seen a lot of different cultures. I'll just say that. And uh, through that, I know now as I'm building my business with my team, how I'm building my culture because of the experience I've had. So I'm so interested to talk about your book, The Necessary Journey. Uh, let's just start at the very beginning. What led you to write the book? So in 2020, as you can imagine, with all the things that were happening around COVID-19 and the racial reckoning of 2020 after the murder of George Floyd, uh, companies were really trying to figure out, like, what can we actually do to make real progress, right? Yeah. Um, and the phrase, it's a journey, was something I've heard my whole career. You know, DEI is a journey. It's a journey. We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey, right? But what I found that was fascinating to me is that at that time, many companies were asking me, wait, where are we on the journey? How do we know if we're making progress? And once I heard that 10, 20, 30 times, especially in that small amount of period, I was like, man, there, there's something missing. There's a lot of resources out there, but there seems to be something missing given that I keep getting this question of where are we on the journey and how do we know if we're making progress? And those are the two core pivotal, pivotal questions that led to the research and uh, culmination of the book. Um, and specifically, what I noticed is that when people are asking where they were on the journey, yes, they wanted a framework, but there were a lot of frameworks out there, right? And so I'm not purporting that mine is the only one. Um, it's one of many great, great resources. But the, the perspective that I brought um, in writing my book was a narrative perspective. I wanted to tell the stories. I wanted to bring to life what the journey actually was all about. I think I wanted to demystify what DEI is all about because a lot of people, when they when I say DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, they automatically think, okay, it's that big moment when George Floyd was murdered and we had had these tough conversations. Or it's a big moment when there were incidents of Asian 
um, American and Pacific Islander uh, hate and discrimination. It's a big moment where someone feels like someone committed a aggression towards them at work, right? And yes, diversity and inclusion are those big moments where you got to step in and have those tough conversations and address those elephants in the room. But DEI is also about the everyday experience of employees in the workplace. It's about, you know, how you feel when you're with your team members. It's about if you feel like anyone would miss you if you left, you know, it's about whether you feel valued, that you're adding value to what the team is doing, to what the organization is doing. It's about if you feel respected every single day. It's about if you would, you know, recommend that place as a place to work for someone in your life. And so all of those things are what DEI is all about. And so I wanted to demystify it. I wanted to take it from this bubble off in the corner that for some people can be this scary thing. And make it accessible to everyone. And so that is why I chose the approach of a, a narrative storytelling approach. There's a lot to unpack there. So I grew up in Cleveland. Our high school was 50-50 uh, in terms of diversity. Um, I think it was about 50-50 is what they say. I think it was different. But at the same time, so I grew up and, and I have had a guest on multiple times, Darren Carter, good friend of mine. And what he's told me is, yeah, we grew up in the same town, but we didn't grow up the same way. And he's taught mm-hmm. me so much about um, just even white privilege. For example, I didn't understand what that word meant until he explained it to me a little bit. And now I have a better understanding of it. What's funny to me is this very platform that you and I are talking about right now, this very podcast started with um, around the same time of George Floyd and, and COVID. And I was bored. I didn't have anything else to do. And so I, and I was watching the world somewhat burn. And I hated mm-hmm. that. And so I reached out to some friends that were just Columbus destroyers, players, and the four of us got on and we talked about how do we get better? How do we understand each other? Let's have conversation versus, mm-hmm. you know, um, arguments. And that's, so that's right. honestly, that was episode one of this podcast over 200 episodes ago. So that's wow. where my heart is. And I, I love that we're talking about this because I have also left a workplace where respect was no longer being served. I, I pushed away from the table. So I, I'm very interested. What does the book have? What will someone find when they open the book? What do they find? How, how does this help other people understand? Well, you know, we're all on a journey, right? And so one of the things that I'm very clear about in my book is that the book is about nine different companies in their organizational journey. But each of us is also on a personal journey. Right. Um, around these topics. And so right. no matter your background, no matter your life experience, we all have things to learn, right? And we all have ways that we can improve. And that's the hope that we're always making that one step forward. And, you know, diversity and, and inclusion, they're not topics that go away. You never get to a place where you, you check the box or, okay, I'm I'm woke now and I don't have to think about these things anymore. It's a lifelong evolution, right? It's a lifelong uh, understanding and respecting and welcoming humanity in all of the form. From an organizational perspective, I hope that we are talking about new challenges around DEI in the workplace, like, you know, Gen Z coming into the workplace and how they're different or similar than generations before them. How the workplace of the future will look with, you know, new technology and even just the fact that most future organizations will not be in person. organizations. So the way of our parents and the way of even most of us when we started working is no more. It's no longer. So those are the types of inclusion and equity uh, conversations I hope that we're having in organizations, but we're never going to be done. 
And so it's okay that, you know, we don't always say the perfect things. We don't always know exactly the lived experience of someone else. That's why we're on the journey. So I just want to affirm that, like, it's okay. Like, that's that's why we're here. And it's it's about action. But even before you get to action, you have to have the right intention, that right spirit about it and uh, a humility. And so that's what I hear from you. Um, and so it's it's very welcoming. Thank you. Um, Absolutely. I have two questions, a twofold question. One, what is it going to take for us as a society to hire someone because of their qualifications? Period. Regardless. You know what I mean? Almost like a, a, almost like a blind resume. If I've never met the person or know what background they're from, if I just look at their talent and their ability, because ultimately that's really what Hopefully, I, I, I think that's what it's about is their talent and ability, not if they're the color of their skin or where they who they knew and those kind of things. That would be question one. Question two is we have transferred to a remote society. And do you think that is impacting what I just said? I'm hiring people because of their talent and ability because I'm not seeing them in the office every day. That's a really tough yeah. question. Yeah. Well, we are all biased. So let's just start there. Yeah. Uh, bias is our, our natural inclination or affinity to something. Um, bias is also the way our brains make those cognitive jumps to make the world easier for us to digest. So we are able, and I'm no neuroscientist, but I know that we get more than 2,000 bits of information to, through our uh, our our senses every single moment, right? And so in order to be able to even have this conversation or to be able to do the things that you have to focus on, your brain has to make those leaps so that you can, you know, go through life, right? That's where unconscious bias comes in. So, but sometimes those leaps are wrong because those leaps that our brain makes are based off of our lived experiences, our values, um, what we think, right? And even those realities may not be true. That's where we have bias. So, I love what's set there because I don't think it's possible to ignore that bias exists, meaning just having a straight up meritocracy in hiring for talent. I don't think that's possible. I think we have to acknowledge that bias is part of the human condition mm-hmm. and find ways to manage it, um, to make make it so that our processes and policies around hiring, for example, are, are bias proof when possible. Um, I think that's more realistic than saying, what is it going to take for us to not look at someone's race or gender or any other demographic? Because it's just not true. Like if we have not been exposed to that person, right, we're automatically going to have a bias. Mm. Maybe it lies for them, maybe it lies against them, but it's, it's not possible for us to just say, oh, we'll walk through life and we don't see difference and we're not biased. We actually want to see difference because difference is what makes us amazing, right? right? Um, so. What I do think organizations can move towards is having very clear understandings of what talent um, looks like, what a successful candidate looks like. And what I mean by that is that for many of our organizations, even what we're looking for in hiring is not directly connected to the actual things that we'll be doing on the job. So, for example, when you hear people say culture fit, right, right. that is a catch all for whatever I want it to be. <laughs> so, yes, we we want people that will be culture ads, you know, add to our culture that have alignment on values. But if we're saying culture fit, what does that have to do with being able to do the job, right? That's just one example. Um, and, and many times, even the questions asked during an interview process 
are not connected to proven metrics of success in the job. Right. Even qualifications, right? Many jobs say you need a four-year college degree. Um, great. But when is the last time you've looked to see if the people in the job actually are using uh, mechanisms from their actual degree? Or could this job be open to someone with an associate's degree? Could this job be open to someone without a, a uh, higher education degree, um, but maybe they have a certificate or maybe they learned on the job? You know, so when you say when we're hiring for talent, I don't think it's just about the, the, the bias element. I think that's part of it. But I think it's really the flawed system of organizations being lazy and not being willing to uh, think outside the box and spend the time making sure that their jobs, the way they're posted, the way that they're interviewed for, and the way they're selected for are free from those biases. So I don't put it just in the hands of the hiring managers. I think it's the whole system that has to change. Hey everyone, my name is Cami Prannell and I'm the Executive Director for My Unscripted. We hope you are enjoying today's interview. My Unscripted is dedicated to helping others find their voice, passion, and follow their dreams. Our team can help create websites, apps, YouTube channels, podcasts, media, and social content. Whatever your passion and vision, we can help. Our good friend Manny Ahomi of Samaritan's Feet once said, make sure your dreams and goals are big enough to create room for others to join you. We've created room for you to join us too. Find out more at myunscripted.com. Now let's join Aaron for the second half of today's interview. Do you think that the remote working uh, because of COVID and so many people being remote, does that have any effect on what we just talked about? No, I don't. Okay. I don't I don't think it, it, systems only change if you change the system, right? Yeah, so, right, right. you know, you can put that same hiring process in a virtual environment and you can still have the same issues. Now, what can change, let's say if you start to blind resume, so taking out indicators of race and gender and other things like that, that can be done virtually or, you know, non-virtually. Um, you can make sure that your the questions you ask for every candidate are the exact same and that there is a rating mechanism that's objective. You can make sure that you have a hiring panel instead of just one person right. that makes these decisions, right? And so those are the things that can be done, whether we are in person or virtually. And, and many companies have started to do those things. So I think that's the shift with hiring specifically. Now, I do think workplace culture has, has certainly shifted. I, I'm not saying the virtual work environment has no effect. I just think hiring itself um, can, can really be a granular process and can be a system that that takes away the bias if if you want it to. Right. One of my favorite bosses ever, uh, and the, one of the best cultures I've ever worked in, actually the best culture I've ever worked in, used to always tell me that I just want to get good people on the bus, and then we'll figure out where they sit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that was his hiring and his mentality was, well, just let's just get good people on the bus, and we'll figure out where they sit later. And we had an amazing culture and an amazing organization, and everyone loved working there, and everyone worked really, really hard. Um, is that your experience as you looked at companies, uh, not that exact phrase, but that mentality of let's just get good people. And I think it goes back to what you were just saying a minute ago, let's get really good people and then we'll figure out where we can put them later. You know, I would agree with that. I think the only caveat is we have to make sure we are clear on how we're defining good people. Mm. And because often, you know, what we mean by good people are people like us, mm. not because we're biased and, and all of that, but 
it's because it's an, a natural human thing to look for people that are similar to you in experience, background, demographics. It's homophily is, is what it's called in psychology. And it's a thing we all do. We gravitate towards people that are like us, even if right. they are demographically different, right? right. We, we ask them, do they go for Carolina or Duke? Or we ask them, <laughs> they think, right? That, that we, that's how we connect. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, let's say I had said the forbidden that I was a USC fan. You automatically would have had, if we're in an interview, right? That's yeah. automatically a, another level of affinity. Absolutely. It's not bad, right? But mm-hmm. therefore, all of a sudden you look around, you get a, a team full of people who watch uh, college basketball. Again, not bad, but that's right. when, like, how are we defining good people? And are we making sure we are giving the same opportunities to people who cannot stand basketball in any regard? Because that's right. okay, too. And so that, that's what I mean about just defining well, you mean my good people, but I think at the core, that sentiment of hiring people that want to work hard, who are talented and can contribute to our organization. Absolutely. I think that that's a good place to be. And in fairness, I have not read the book yet. So I'm asking you a lot of questions that may be in the book and I can't wait to read the book. Uh, it is uh, on its way um, to me. So I, I can't wait to unpack it because I'm I'm really fascinated by one, the human condition, two, our, our differences as people, three, how that all plays together, and four, how that works in the workplace, having been in workplaces myself that were a variety of things. So let me ask you another question. When um, I've been in a workplace where the leader was a narcissist, and um, I left that because, again, toxic. It was just toxic because the leader was a narcissist. And I remember someone telling me afterwards, they said, hey, how many of the people that they've hired knew that person before they started working there. And when I looked at the landscape, to your point a minute ago, he was surrounded by people who he'd known his whole life, who knew him and he knew them. Have you seen that as well in the workplace? And how dangerous is that for a culture when a narcissist, I'm sure you've seen that because narcissistic leaders are typically the ones that are leaders, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, but you know, some of the greatest leaders of the biggest businesses are narcissists. Um, Have you seen that with at least even a senior leadership in a large corporation? Have they surrounded themselves with people that they knew and they knew them? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I absolutely feel like that is part of corporate culture. Uh, you know, that, you know, you, you hire who, you know, um, and I think even beyond that, you know, many leaders surround themselves with yes, people, um, meaning they surround themselves with people that will agree with them. Again, that's also part of the human condition. We tend to ask people for their opinions when we know they're going to agree with us, right? Right, right? It's a bit harder for all of us, um, to make sure that we're seeking out divergent perspectives. Because who wants to go and ask someone their opinion and we know they're going to disagree with us, right? Like, right. that's just not what right. we naturally do. Right. And so leaders often, you know, get really bogged down in that human condition because they are used to people thinking they're the smartest person in the room. Um, they're used to having to act like they're the smartest person in the room. And therefore, it, there's not always a welcome space for divergent opinion. Um, and so that's one of the, the main things I think leaders can do to make themselves more self-aware, but also to make sure they're creating cultures where everyone's not agreeing. Everyone is actually encouraged to disagree in respectful ways so that we can get the best ideas, we get the best out of our teams. And that's exactly, I had a meeting this morning with one of our team members and that's exactly what I told him is I need you to disagree with me. Like I need you to be, 
I need you to embrace the role that I have given you. And that may include you not agreeing with me because honestly, I don't know. That's why, that's why I hired you. That's why you're on our team is I don't need people around me. Just patting me on the back and tell me how great I am. I need people telling me that that's not a good idea. Um, because on left to my own devices, I'm going to screw this thing up. (laughs) I know that about myself. Um, so what was the biggest surprise as you were researching for the book? How many companies did you say you researched? Nine, was it? Yeah, in the book, you will find uh, nine different stories of real-life companies um, all at different places on their DEI journey. Some of them have had really huge missteps, uh, such as Denny's um, and Sodexo, who, you know, I start those chapters talking about their discrimination lawsuits that were huge deals for them in the 1990s and early 2000s. And where have they come in the past 30 years, right? You have other companies like PwC that are large multinational companies that, you know, many look to to be leaders in this space, but yet they're still not perfect and they still have had their struggles. Um, you have small companies like Iora Health or Uncle Nearest that are small, but still have to be intentional, even though they're places where that, that are surrounded and, and they foundationally have great mission. You know, you exposed to their journeys on how do we make sure this is the best place to not only work, no matter what your background is, but how do we make sure we're pulling out divergent opinions? That's what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. How do we make sure that we're connecting with the communities that we serve? How do we make sure we're pushing our industry, you know, even going beyond our four walls? And so in the book, those nine companies each have a very unique story. And I think that's representative of DEI more broadly. Like there is no one size fits all approach. There is no one size fits all solution. There is no one size fits all journey. And that is the beauty of it. And and I wanted uh, leaders and individuals alike to be able to see themselves in at least some part of these companies' journeys and, and reflect on their own DEI journey in the process. What was the biggest surprise you found in your research from a company? You don't have to name the company if you don't want to. But what was the biggest, like, most shocking moment for you? You know, the biggest surprise was kind of the, the companies didn't make it in the book. So there were many companies. I started with a lot of companies that I felt like were kind of at the top of their game. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do was like show how they got there, right? Because I'm like, oh man, this company is is doing such great work. I, I want them to tell their story of how they got there so that other companies, again, could learn. And it was, it was shocking to me how many companies said no, how many companies didn't feel comfortable. And they would tell me straight up, we just don't feel like we're there yet. On our journey, we are not sure how it'll be received. We're worried about what people would think. And, you know, that was interesting to me because these are some companies that are, are very public and you could Google them, right? right? This right. is kind of the opportunity for them to tell their story. So that's one of the unique aspects of my book. It's not just me writing from a researcher or even just an author's lens. Every single company I interviewed, their CEO, their chief human resource officer, and some companies I even interviewed other people as well to get the perspective. So it's really important for like the company voice to be really front and center in this book. And so I think that was the most surprising thing that like, man, some of these companies are winning awards. Some of them from my vantage point are doing such great things. And they say they know the power of storytelling, the power of, you know, leading and learning by example. Um, But so many of them like straight up told me like, not that we don't believe in this project, we just are afraid. We don't know what people will say. We're afraid to be that honest. And and that was a learning moment for me. So I've taken a lot of your time. I, I have a few more questions. Do you still have time? Yeah. 
Okay. How much do you think social media has affected uh, culture and companies? Have you seen that in your research? The fact that somebody could send a tweet and say, my company is X, Y, or Z, good, bad, or otherwise. I think social media has affected our brain. <laughs> so, Absolutely. You got to get a neuro, neuroscientist up here to talk about that. But <laughs> I think social media has impacted even the way we think about work, right? Like, you know, we're so used to instant gratification through technology and specifically social media. So even the notion of like not having that immediate feedback, right? Or um, the immediacy that you want, that, that leaves people feeling uncomfortable. Um, I think that, you know, social media has also led to a lot of online bullying, right? And there are many things that right. people will say online right. um, under the guise of their social media accounts or a anonymous social media account. They would never say in person. Right. 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 And so right. it encourages us to have these polarizing opinions because we can say whatever we want. And there's a lack of accountability. Now, when you do that in the workplace, there is going to be some accountability. And so it's interesting because you even see on some company, like internal chat messaging um, system, people will start to have some of that same type of online behavior mm -hmm. and they'll get called on it. Right. And it's like, right. yeah, this is not your, your, this is not Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever you use. This is real life. It has consequences. We, we can see whose name this <laughs> right. is. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's had a huge impact. Workplaces are microcosms of the world. Right. Mm. So whatever is happening in the world will be reflected in a microcosm of your particular workplace. So even right. though people say like, oh, well, this workplace, you know, we have X, Y, Z culture and, you know, we don't deal with those issues that, you know, you're talking about or that may be out in the world. I challenge that every workplace is a reflection of society, is a reflection of the world around them, is a reflection of their local community in some regards. And so. You know, it's not just those people out there over there. It's like th those are the same people that are in here, even if they're not, you know, sharing their perspective. We have to think about it as those are the same people that are in this organization. So how do we make this a place for all? All right. I promise. Last question. Um, and then I want to give out all the links and, and everything. Um, what was you don't have to give the company name if you don't want to. What was the best company culture experience when you were researching which one was your favorite you, again you don't have to mention the company but which one was your favorite and why so the company that was probably my favorite um was the company who was had the opportunity to build their di uh, vision from the ground up so you know most companies have been around especially larger companies they are kind of circling back to what their DEI vision is. They're circling back to what they really want to stand for and who they want to be in the world, right? As far as DEI. For newer companies, they have a unique opportunity because newer companies that have been started in the last five years are able to learn from all the mistakes of the past and start off what I would hope is on the right foot. They still won't be perfect because no company is perfect. But I think my favorite company stories were those who had the opportunity to be intentional from day one. And so it can show us like what progress can look like, even for companies that they play catch up. Mm -hmm. um, and this particular company, they really focused on diversity of thought. So they they talked about demographic diversity and reflecting the, the, the United States as a U.S.-based company. So reflecting demographics of the United States in their employees. But beyond that, this is a company where the CEO literally says, if you are just here to agree with me, you don't belong here. We want people to disagree. So exactly what you said before, 
that's what this CEO is all about. And it's even on their company website. You can't even apply to a job at this company without reading uh, their nine values. Wow. And part of those values are respect, um, inclusion, you know, being honest and candid, but also having diversity of thought. And so that that was really inspiring. Because I hope that's a glimpse of what we can see more of in the future as new companies that have this foundation of what the world has been through and where we are today. They're starting from that place versus from 20, 30 or 40 plus years ago. I love what you've done. And again, I haven't, I haven't read it yet. Uh, again, in, in complete disclosure, I have not read it yet, but I, I, I know I'm going to love this book because we're in a world of quiet quitters. We're in a world of toxic workplaces. We're in a world of people coming back to work after they were home. There's just a lot happening in the workforce right now for companies, large and small, new and old. There's a lot happening. And I think um, this is a really interesting topic and probably one, if, if you're listening to my voice and you're a leader or you work for a company, I think this is a really good topic for all of us to maybe take a pause. And again, a lot of us are reacclimating ourselves back into the workforce because we were home. We were remote. We were, you know, whatever. It, the world was really, uh, the other day somebody said the, the snow globe was shaken up now and now the, the, the snow's starting to calm again, hopefully, uh, and we're getting back to somewhat normal, um, it's a really good time for, I think, everyone to evaluate. So I love that you're hitting this right when it's hitting because it's incredibly important for all the reasons that we've talked about. So when people want to find it, what's the best way to find the book? You can find The Necessary Journey, Making Real Progress on Equity and Inclusion on all major platforms. So your Amazons, your Targets, your Barnes and Nobles, um, your audibles, your uh, uh, any platform that you can think of. The book is widely available and, and excited for you to, to read it. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Ella F. Washington, super active on LinkedIn. And I would love to connect with you and, and hear your journey and where your organization is. And you have a website as well. Do. Yes. You can find my work at ellafwashington.com. Well, everything's available there. I was on there this morning. Uh, you have a blog, you have speaking opportunities. So that's the other thing I was going to say, if anyone's listened to this and they want you to come maybe meet with their company or meet with them, is that available? Can you do that? Will you do that? Absolutely. I, I'd, I'd love to. And and that's what we do every single day. So uh, I'd love to come to your organization. I'd love to hear where you all on your journey and how I can be helpful. Well, we're just around the corner from a new year. And, and I think, I know I'm evaluating my business right now. We're looking at 2023. What are we going to do? We're vision casting. We we're doing it this morning. Um, I think it's important, and this is probably a best, the best time ever for everyone, anyone listening that's a CEO or an employee, whatever position you hold within the company that you're in, this is a really good time to maybe look at and assess and reach out to you. And I think, you know, see where that goes. I, I'm so thankful for your time. This has been on my calendar for months. I know we had, kept have, having to be rescheduled. So um, I, I've really been honored with, although you're a Duke fan. Well, you know, diversity of thought, right? It's just, this is the right way of thinking, but it, it's all good. It's all good. Aaron, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful holidays. And thank you again. The last time the website is LFWashington.com. You can find the book at all major platforms, right? And uh, thank you. Please give a follow on LinkedIn. Please reach out. Please get the book. And thank you so much. I hope you have wonderful holidays. Same to you.
Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Unscripted Podcast with your host, Aaron Conrad. Be sure to like, share, and follow on all your favorite podcast platforms. Also, make sure to check out our song, When I Think About You, on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you enjoy your favorite songs. We'll We'll see see you next time. time on Unscripted with Aaron Conrad.